when you go to Matthew, don't, don't turn there, but, um, well, in fact, yeah, go ahead and turn there. <laughs> Matthew, Matthew chapter 7. When you read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, what you find, for example, with John the Baptist, if you just read what he's quoted as saying, he didn't seem to be very nice. I mean, he, you know, today we would call him a hellfire and brimstone preacher. And he pretty much just laid it down to folks. And um, it's almost like he said, you think I'm bad, you just wait. There's somebody coming behind me. I'm not even worthy to tie his shoes. <laughs> then you begin reading all the things that Jesus said. And he seemed to be very adept and skilled in the use of words like hypocrite, <laughs> fool. <laughs> because you see that throughout what he was teaching. Not every time, but you see that. In fact, you know, those times when he would say things like, Oh, ye of little faith. And, you know, how much longer am I going to have to put up with you? And when you read this, you think, okay, how, did, how, did he ex how exactly did he say these things? Because if I just read it, it comes across not exactly very polite. And I think that the way he said it, now everybody can have their own interpretation here, but it was somewhere between polite and in your face. And the way he said it would have been, you know, the people would have recognized, okay, yeah, really, yeah. Except for the religious leaders. And the religious leaders were people who should have known better. Whenever he addressed things with them, they should have known better. And as you have been reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and now John, I'm hoping that you've picked up on some of this how that so much of what he said was correcting the error that had been taught. There were times when um, religious leaders, scribes or Pharisees or the lawyers or whoever, you know, they would come to him and they would present something to him. And then he came back at them with, you know, what is written in the law? Or have you not heard? Or have you not read that the prophet this said and the law says and so forth? He kept taking them back to what they should have known. And they didn't like it. They got upset. Not all of them. Some of them, you know, they figured out, okay, Jesus, yep, this, this even though I expected him to look differently, this is the Christ. You know, because there's this guy is so different from anybody ever. What happened with Jesus is happening now in the body of Christ. But only if you are pressing into Jesus. Here's what I'm getting at. The sermons, they are, the closer that we get to conforming fully to Jesus, the clo closer we get to being like Jesus, the more narrow the path becomes. There is going to be a greater and greater call to accountability before God. And I'm telling you right now, there are some folks already who don't like it. Now, I'm not talking lost people. I'm talking Christians. Now, I don't mean to be, be, beat a dead horse, but this right here is one example. This mask. Because God said in His Word that we are to be in submission to the laws of man. 
Now, obviously, if they go against what's in the Word of God, different story. But we're to be in submission to the laws of man. Wearing a mask is not against the Word of God. It's not. And so what's happening is, this simple little thing of wearing a face mask in the midst of a worldwide pandemic is proving to be a separation between those who are going forward with God and those who aren't, no matter what they say. Now, I know that not everybody who wears a mask is pressing into Jesus. I get that. But this is kind of like a test. And you've got a lot of Christians who are failing miserably. Failing. And you know, you've got Christians out there right now, buddy, they'd take issue with me saying that. You know what? That's on you. It's not on me. Because when I stand before God, I'll be able to say, look, you know, maybe I didn't always drive 35 and a 35. You know, <laughs> but I wasn't some crazy maniac driving, you know, 90 and a 25. <laughs> and you guys understand what I'm talking about. Um, I heard, I don't know how many of you listened to Pastor Bronk Flint's sermons, but he shared the other day, and I forget which Sunday it was, two, three Sundays ago, whatever. But he had delivered a message that had to do with, um, it wasn't a message about politics, but it was an identifier of problems in our country. Kind of like what I did this past Sunday. Remember that? You know, would you vote for Jesus? And, oh, yeah, I'd vote for Jesus. Oh, yeah. Well, what do you think his policy would be on? And we went through this list of things. And there are some Christians who would really, really struggle with having Jesus as president and him saying, okay, no more are we going to have this right here. No more are we going to have that right there. Because you would have some Christians stand up and say things like, but you, you are infringing on my freedoms. And the thing is, with Jesus, he is the king of kings. We have been translated into his kingdom. Now, in a kingdom, you have no rights. You only have the permissions granted to you by the king. That's it. You can't stand up to the king and say, you're violating my rights. If you'd have tried that in the Old Testament, off with their head. <laughs> and yet, you have Christians who basically are pointing their finger at God and saying, you're not going to tell me what to do. Now, literally, they're not doing that, and they don't think they're doing it. Anyway, Pastor Bronk, was, um, he had been teaching on, and I don't remember the exact words, or how I don't know how he exactly said it, but... Um, there is a political party that is in favor of, and went down the list of all these things that God has said, don't do, don't do, don't do, don't do in His Word. And we all know which party that is. Well, somebody contacted him. Now, this is recorded, so I'm not sharing something that was private. Somebody contacted him, and they weren't really happy about that sermon. And they said... I'm on the same path as you, pressing into revival, believing God for revival and so forth, but I am a member of that particular party. And you are demonizing that party. Well, in the sermon, Pastor Bronx said, uh, you know, I don't know if you're listening, you know, and I love you, I don't have any odd against you, whatever, but the thing is, I'm not demonizing that party. That party's demonizing itself. Now, when you get into Scripture and you begin to take a look at what God has said don't do and what God has said about the people who approve of those doing the don't do's, you need to understand. God has made it clear in His Word. If you do that, if you give approval of that, you are on the same path as they toward eternal damnation. Now, if you don't like that, too bad. You get in the Word and you find where God said that you can stand in agreement with perversions and all this other stuff and that everything is still okay with Him. It's not. 
It absolutely is not. And the person who sent that uh, to Pastor Brock, using that as an example, that person is, is like a voice for Christians all over the place. We're, I'm a part of that party, but I believe in Jesus. You know, marched the blood, I'm filled with the Holy Ghost, going to heaven, and blah, 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 etc. Yeah, but I'm a part of that party, and that's how I vote. No, you, 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 you cannot be in agreement with God and be in agreement with all that other. You can't. God says so. Can two be any, uh, walk together except they be agreed? Okay, you think you're walking with God. You think everything is okay. Why do you think that? It's because you have created for yourself or you have been in an atmosphere that tells you it's okay and that you're okay to be in agreement with it. You've got, look, see, when, when God talks in his word about Jesus coming back for, for a pure spotless bride, that's not simply the people who don't smoke, don't chew, don't drink, don't do drugs, don't do this, don't do that. But it's also the spot or the blemishes concerning who you agree with. <laughs> you are severely tainted inside if you're in agreement with that stuff. And what's really bad is that, okay, I won't say that, Ah, but I can say it like that, yeah. If you are a member of certain organizations where you work, they'll tell you how to vote. And they'll tell you you better vote this way. And, and if they find out that you don't vote that way, well, there could be trouble. Now, <laughs> you've got to do what's right before God. But it could cost me my job. You're right. I'm sorry, I forgot about that. God, there's no way He could get you another job. Come on. See, this, this whole thing of serving God, what Jesus said, you've got to love me more than anything, even your own life. You've got to love me more than your own family because there are people who are probably maybe in here or watching this or who will hear this. You've got family members. <laughs> they are going to spit fire in disagreement with this. And if they find out you agree with it, well, then you're just worthless. You've got to be willing to be separated from your whole family. What are you going to do? You have to be willing you have to be willing to suffer the loss of all things. And you know, Jesus made the statement, and, and I may teach on this in more detail later, but he made the statement, he said, look, no, no, and Peter, Peter questioned him on that. He said, Lord, <laughs> you know, we've forsaken everything. We've left everything. So what do we get? And Jesus said, well, I'll tell you, Peter, nobody who's willing to give up everything in this world is going to lose. You'll end up with more in this world than what you presently have and in the world to come. Now, those are the words of Jesus. Those are the words of Jesus. And see, here's the thing. When you truly understand about the family of God, and you truly embrace being a part of the family of God, then... You're always going to have a place to stay. You'll always have a meal. Because those who truly are a part of the family of God, I mean, I mean, you're not just born again, but I mean, you embrace the concept of family. You're going to have food to eat. And you'll have a place to stay. See, it's really interesting because um, in what few travels Kathy and I have made to other nations, relationships within the family of God have been established to where I know, I know for a fact, if we happen to be in those countries and we were in need, one phone call and we've got help. I know it. I know for a fact. 
We'd have a place to stay. We'd have food to eat. We'd have a, a place to shower. Or what, I mean, I'm, see, this is what Jesus is talking about. If you look here in Matthew chapter 7, because see, what's going on now is this. What's happening? For those who are pressing deeper into God, not every church is doing this, you know that. Not every church is full of backsliders. Remember I shared there are two, stream, two streams and a pond. All right, Go back and listen to that uh, particular sermon. But we are being called to a level of accountability like never before. And there is a purging that has to take place. A purging of our lives. And this purging is going to be, in some cases, extremely difficult for a lot of people, a lot of Christians. You're going to be fighting with the emotions. It's going to be hard. And there, I already know there's some things I'm going to be dealing with here in the sermons to come that some people aren't going to like. Well, I don't know if that means people here or what. And it's not, it's not a matter of me standing up here and, you know, thunder and lightning, you know, flying from the pulpit. No, it's a matter of God saying, hey, children, y'all got to clean up your act. You're going to have to start living as a reflection of what you see in the Word. That's what it comes down to. We want to have a Book of Acts church, but we don't want to be Book of Acts Christians. And that's got to change. Even if we're not called to be an apostle, we have to live like one. You understand what I mean? That standard of holiness has got to be there. In Matthew chapter 7, look here. Verse 21, Jesus says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, what day? The day of judgment. Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy name have cast out devils? And in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. (laughs) Think about this. On the one hand, you've got people, their track record is, we've cast out devils. Their track record is, hey, we prophesied. Some people might say, ah, yeah, false prophecies. No, no. That's not what this is implying. And these, on their track record, their resume, you know, we've done many wonderful works. And Jesus says, He doesn't, look, in this, he doesn't say they didn't do those things. Do you see that? He doesn't say, liars, hypocrites. No, he doesn't say that. What he says is, I never knew you. Now, here's what that means. It doesn't mean they were never born again. What it means is, okay, you might have done those things. However, you veered off the path. The intimacy wasn't there. The purity wasn't there. And so some people might ask, well then how in the world, if the purity wasn't there, if the intimacy wasn't there, then how in the world could they have prophesied? How in the world could they have cast out devils? How in the world could they have done many wonderful works? Have you ever read the book of 1 Corinthians? Ever? In the first chapter, you can't get out of the first chapter before the Apostle Paul tells them, you come behind and no gift. Well, he wasn't talking about their offerings. Because later on, he chastises them about offerings. Now, he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit. And then you get over in chapters 12, 13, and 14, he begins bringing some clarity to that. The gifts of the Spirit were in operation in that church. And yet, he says, you guys got some severe problems. I mean, you've even got somebody in your church who's having relations with his, his father's wife. And the gifts were still in operation. (laughs) You think, how can that be? That's because God loves the hurting so much. He's willing to use an imperfect vessel to bring about a healing in someone else's life. That's just one simple example. So here, just because somebody has a reputation of uh, what we say being used in the gifts... Don't ever, ever, ever use that as the litmus test to determine whether or not they are walking in fellowship with God. Don't ever do that. 
Now, great, the gifts were wonderful and so... Jesus didn't operate by the gifts. Did you know that? See, the gifts operate as the Holy Spirit wills. Jesus operated by a continual flow of anointing. Jesus, Son of David, help me. All right, what do you want? Well, I want my sight. Okay, have it. Come on, boys, let's go. <laughs> See, you can't do that by the gifts. But when that anointing is there. And that's why Jesus said, look, if you believe in me, the works I do, you shall do also. Believing in him is not simply a matter of, yeah, Jesus, I believe in you. Believing in him is also a matter of, okay, Jesus, you have set the standard for how we are to live. I believe that, and I will live that way. That's part of having that anointing. And this is where God is leading the church. This is where God is taking us. And it's not always going to be easy. Now, he says here in verse 21, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven unless, and I'm paraphrasing, unless you do the will of my Father. All right, well, then that brings up a big question. What is the will of the Father? What is the will? What is it? It can't be simply, well, God's will is for me to be a pastor. God's will is for me to be an apostle. God's will for me to be an evangelist. God's will. No, it, it can't be a calling. It's got to be more than that. It has to be. Because, well, anyway. So let's, let's go back to Genesis. And here's where we, where we will see the foundation for all of this. The will of God. In Genesis chapter 1, Verse 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. Okay, this right here is God's will regarding man's existence. We're supposed to exist in his image and likeness. Another way to say that would be a non-deified replication of God in a flesh body. That's the way it's supposed to be. That is his will. So then, that's the way I'm supposed to be. A non-deified replication of God. Well, you can't be that if you're giving approval of stuff that God says don't do. I hope you're understanding this. Well, then if you look in chapter 2, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to dress and to keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. Right? This is a revelation of God's will concerning Man's actions and obedience. So then, another way to put that would be Matthew 4.4. 4. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth from God. Here we see God telling him, here's how I want you to live. You already exist in my image and likeness. Now here's what I want you to do. I want you to Live here in the garden. I want you to dress it and to keep it. Now this is interesting because the word dress, it comes from the um, Hebrew word avad. And it's hard to really explain this word relative to the setting here in Genesis chapter 2. And here's why. If you have a garden at home and you dress that garden, what that means is, you have to go out there, you have to water, you know, fertilize, you've got to you know, pull the weeds, so on and so forth. However, in the Garden of Eden, you didn't have non-growing conditions. So the whole issue of dressing a garden there before the fall in a perfect world, I really don't know how to explain that. I don't know the fullness of what that means. But this next word. Dress it and keep it. Now, in this particular setting, the word keep, it comes from the um, Hebrew word shemar, 
And as it's used here, what it means is keep safe, preserve, protect, act as a watchman. Stand guard over the garden. Well, how'd that work out? Chapter 3. We know what happened. The serpent shows up. And we know this is talking about the devil. Alright, now whose responsibility was it to guard the garden? It was Adam's. That was his job. You're the sentinel. You are to keep it. You're to make sure the undesirables don't get in. You are to make sure the people... I figure a speech here, obviously. That the people who aren't supposed to be in there aren't allowed to get in. Well... Here's the serpent. Shows up where? In the garden. And not only in the garden, but, you know, smack dab in the middle of it. (laughs) Now what was supposed to happen at that moment? Adam, as the keeper of the garden, was supposed to say, go, go. You don't belong here. His first mistake was allowing the serpent to remain in the garden. That was his first mistake. And then in in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband, with her, and he did eat. All right, what are we seeing here? Now, we're not going to read all of this because you're so familiar with it, and you can go back and read chapter 3. But basically what happened was the serpent was allowed in the garden, and then the serpent preached a message that appealed to the flesh. And we see in chapter or in uh, verse 6, it's all about the flesh. Good for food, pleasant to the eyes, Make one wise. So, and so they ate. And then if you get over into uh, verse 17, unto Adam, God says, Because thou hearkened unto the voice of thy wife and hast eaten of the tree, which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. We know that um, Adam and Eve both died spiritually and eventually they both died physically. But what happened was, first off, Adam made the mistake of not telling the serpent, get out. He did not keep as he was instructed. Then he made the mistake of listening to another voice, the voice of his wife, who had listened to, you know, a seducing spirit. Then he made the mistake of ignoring what God had said and embracing this other doctrine and eating. And so now, (laughs) here we are today, Suffering the results thousands of years later. But what's interesting is this. When Adam ate, he introduced the life of that fruit into his life. And the life of that fruit was actually death. Even though it was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, juicy, yummy. In other words, it looked okay. And yet it was a contradiction to what God had said. And so he ate. And when he ate, I'm guessing it really did taste good. Juice running down the chin and all this other. I I don't know how to speculate that. But I do know this. The life of that fruit was actually death. And so when he ate it, he died. Now look back over in Matthew chapter 7. Because what I'm going to show you here in Scripture is that this is going on now. This same thing is happening. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets, which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not good fruit, bringeth not forth good fruit, is hewn down and cast into the fire. 
Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. You don't have to turn to this, but in Luke chapter 6, verses 43 through 45, Jesus is talking and he says, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And he's talking, well, in fact, okay, keep your finger here in Matthew 7 and look over there. Luke chapter 6. In Luke chapter 6, verse 43. For a good tree bringeth forth, bringeth not forth corrupt fruit, neither doth a corrupt tree bringeth forth good fruit. For every tree is known by his own fruit. For of thorns do men not uh, uh, for of thorns men do not gather figs, nor of a bramble bush gather they grapes. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart bringeth forth that which is evil, for out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaketh. Do you, are you, do you get the analogy in this? He's comparing people to trees. And he's saying, look, if you're a good tree, you're going to produce good fruit. If you're a corrupt tree, you're going to produce corrupt fruit. The fruit of a false prophet is false doctrine. That's the fruit, no matter how good they look. The fruit of a false prophet is false doctrine. Look over in 1 Timothy chapter 4. Just look here in a couple of places to see examples of this. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter time some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. Now look over in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 3. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their hearts or their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So then what are we seeing here? Well, we're seeing the teachers giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, then turning around and delivering this message to the people who have the itching ears. It's the same thing that happened in the Garden of Eden. Eve listened to a seducing spirit and a doctrine of a devil. Then she turned around and delivered that message to the itching ears of Adam. And what was the result? They both died. They both died. Okay, so this is happening right now. And what we have to understand is that as this is taking place in the body of Christ right now, it is not going to be that's a good way to put this. It won't be obvious, but it could be obvious. It all depends on the listener. Now, okay, let me say it like this. If Jesus were someplace and he heard somebody, I mean, man, they, they sounded really good, looked good, so on and so forth, but what they were saying wasn't right, do you think he would know the difference? Well, obviously he would. So what do we have to do to protect ourselves? Well, you're here in 2 Timothy. Look in chapter 2, beginning in verse 15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. There it is. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness. And their word will eat, as doth a canker, of whom Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. Overthrow the faith of some. See this? He says, study to show yourself approved and shun profane and vain babblings. What are profane and vain babblings? From God's perspective, it's a bunch of stuff that comes out of a person's mouth that doesn't line up with the word. No matter how much you make it sound like, it lines up with the Word. And so he says, look, if you're going to guard yourself against the the profane and vain babblings, you've got to do verse 15. You've got to study to show yourself approved unto God. In other words, forget about what the people think. Forget about what your family thinks. Forget about all, you know, forget about others. This is you. This is you. This is your eternity that's at stake. Study to show yourself approved unto God. Rightly dividing the word of truth. This is why we're doing this reading in scriptures is to try to get ourselves studying to show ourselves approved. To get us to that place to where we are 
sensitized to error. In fact, if you look over in Hebrews chapter 15, you'll see that very concept spelled out. Uh, Hebrews chapter 15. Hebrews chapter 5. I'm sorry. Yeah, there is no... Wait a minute. You got some new chapters coming out? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 13. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. Or we could say unskillful in the word of truth. What we just saw over there in Timothy. For he is a babe. He is immature. But strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age. In other words, spiritually mature. Even those who, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Now, what is it that they are supposed to, you know, reason of use? The Word. The Word of righteousness. In other words, you're studying to show yourself approved. You get into the Word. You feed on it. You feast on it. You sow it. And he says, that is going to help get you to the place of having your senses sharp. To where you're going to be able to discern good and evil teaching. I mean, even when you're first born again, you've got a conscience. And that conscience is going to let you know, ah, you've got to quit this adultery, man. This is not right. You've got to quit this drinking stuff. You've got to quit, you know, your conscience. This is about doctrine, what we're seeing here in Hebrews 5. And he says, you, you've got to get the word in you, man. It's got to be there. We can't just assume that because we attend a church where the Word is taught, we are absorbing it. And we can't just like take our Bible and put it on our head and, and think that it's like soaking through. How many of you have seen that, that video with that little kid? He's preparing for a test and he opens, he opens the, 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 uh, the textbook and he, he's going like this, like he's trying to get the information up into his head. You say, oh, it is holy. Page after page. He's doing this page after page. Okay, you can't do that with the Bible. Oh, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> it doesn't work. <laughs> be nice if it did. It'd be nice if we could take our Bible and put it under our pillow at night and wake up in the morning quoting every verse in the Bible. <laughs> and understanding. <laughs> it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Look over in Jude. You only have one chapter. <laughs> Jude. And look at verse 20. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. Remember the, the profane and vain babblings? How it calls people, it messes them up on their faith? Okay, here in verse 20 where it talks about building yourself up on your most holy faith, this, simply, this is not exclusively faith to cast out devils. Faith to get people healed. This is your day-to-day -day life and belief. And so what I do then is I take the Word. I feast on the Word. I pray in tongues. And the Holy Spirit takes the Word and I am built up on this truth. I am edified on this truth. And I develop more stability when it comes to discerning right and wrong teaching. And then if you look over in Philippians. Philippians chapter 3. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as you have us for an example. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, or the flesh, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. He's talking about the body of Christ here. We already know lost people are headed to the bad place. He's saying here, you've got some who, they're Christians, but yet their walk is not what it ought to be. And he's saying, look, you follow me and you mark other preachers who are walking this same path and you follow them too. In other words, you can't just sit around and let everybody show up in your garden and deliver to you whatever it is they're delivering and you sit back and think, oh man, what a sermon, that was great. Oh, Pastor Jim, have you been listening to so-and-so? No, I haven't, and there's a good reason why. And apparently you have, and I don't know why. You mean you can't discern that there's error going on here? There are some preachers 
It shouldn't take a whole lot of sermons to discern if these guys are on track or not. In some cases, you can listen to five minutes and there will be something in their voice and the Holy Spirit saying, turn this off. You don't need to listen to this. Get rid of it. And don't go back to it. And you may be thinking, well, I don't understand. I mean, everything seemed okay to me. <laughs> okay, who knows best? You or the Holy Spirit? Apparently, that serpent in the garden was pretty doggone good in his delivery and made it sound really, really good. Or Adam and Eve would never, ever have accepted it. And so we're getting the same kind of warnings here. Hey, you better watch out. Now look over in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we're just going to pick this up beginning in verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of, of our God. He's not saying, verse 11, you got born again and you're not doing any more of this stuff. What he's saying is, hey, you're born again. You shouldn't be doing these things. And you better stop it. Yeah, here's, okay, preview of things to come. Notice here where he says, verse 10, nor drunkards. That does not mean an alcoholic. You understand what I'm saying? What is a drunkard? Someone who ingests alcohol and it impacts their judgment. And every one of you in here know what I'm talking about. And if you know what I'm talking about, you know what God is saying right here. Moving right along. In um, Galatians chapter 5. See, these are some of the things a lot of Christians don't like. They don't want to hear it. Because they want to satisfy their flesh. And you can't. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19. Now, the works of the now this is written to Christians, alright? You, you have to know this. The works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like of the which I tell you before, as I have told, have I also told you in time past, that they which do, in other words, they which incorporate these things into their lifestyle, shall not inherit the kingdom of God. This doesn't mean you do it every day. This means that you don't see anything wrong with basically doing it once a month, once every couple of weeks, twice a week, whatever. In other words, this isn't a habit for me. It's just something I do on occasion. <laughs> God is saying, okay, you're incorporating it into your lifestyle and you need to know you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. You don't go to heaven. Are you hearing me? You don't go to heaven. And where he says here in verse 19, now the works of the flesh, another way that, that this could be said correctly, the fruit of the flesh is all this stuff. The fruit of the, fle of the flesh. And notice in this, he calls it the works of the flesh. There is nothing in this passage about being demon-possessed. Devils aren't even mentioned in this passage. This is all about the individual, now listen to this, absent of demonic control. This is all about the individual making decisions to yield to the flesh and do these things. It's, it's not, well, you know, he's got a spirit of idolatry. He's battling a spirit of idolatry. No, no, it's the flesh. It's the flesh. It's the flesh. 
And if it, if it is, oh, Brother Mark, I just, got a, I just got a demon of emulations. I don't even know what it is, but I got one. <laughs> okay, well, you know what? Why don't you pull and, and do what Adam should have done? Kick it out. <laughs> Kick it out of your life. Are you dealing with any of this stuff and you think it's a demon? Kick it out. In the name of Jesus. Kick it out. And then once you do, stop living that way. But the fact of the matter is, it's the flesh. And your flesh isn't a demon. Your flesh belongs to you. (laughs) And you have to control it. Look over in Ephesians chapter 5. Or no, if, uh, yeah, Ephesians chapter 5. And look here in verse, I'll pick it up in verse 3. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Okay, let it not be once named among you. How many people in your church are doing Galatians chapter 5 things? Well, you know what? If they're among you, they shouldn't be doing these things. I mean, you ought to at least have the integrity to stop. I mean, you don't want to go to hell. I know that. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no whoremonger, no unclean person, no covetous man who is an idolater hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of our God. Let Now look here, verse, look at this, verse 6. Let no man deceive you with vain words. For because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be ye not therefore partakers with them. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. For the fruit of the Spirit, the new nature, is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Now he tells you right here, if you're doing this stuff, you know what? You're not going to heaven. And notice here in verse 6, let no man deceive you with vain words. Let no man deceive you with vain words. What does that mean? What it means is listening to somebody who's going to tell you that this isn't as much of a problem as what you've heard. It's okay. You know, God understands your weakness. God understands your struggles. He's right there with you. Don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. The day is going to come. He's going to move in your life, and you'll stop those things. No. He's already moved in your life. The moment you got born again, He put in you the power of His life and nature, which is the power to say no to everything that comes along. What else do you expect Him to do? And here's... (laughs) You can deceive yourself. You can be the one with the vain words. You can be your own false prophet. And tell yourself, oh, it's okay. It's all right. But look here. What are we going to do? How do we handle this? We'll look in Galatians. Galatians chapter 5. Pretty simple. Verse 16. This I say, then walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Live according to your born-again nature, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. There it is. Oh, but Brother Martin, it's so hard. The only reason it's hard is because you've yielded to the flesh so long, your flesh has become your addiction. He wouldn't tell you to do this in verse 16 if you couldn't. And then if you look over in Romans, Romans chapter 8. In Romans chapter 8, verse 13. For if you live after the flesh, you shall die, but if ye through the Spirit... Your born-again spirit, your new nature, if you through the power of who you become in Christ do mortify the deeds of the body, you shall live. So, this is up to you. God has given you the ability to say no. Let me show you something here. Um, Turn to Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. Now, you don't have to turn to this, but you can look at it later on. In 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, God refers to Noah as a preacher of righteousness. All right, now in Genesis chapter 6, 
Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations, and Noah walked with God. And Noah begat three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. The earth also was corrupted for God, and the earth was filled with violence. And God looked upon the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted his way upon the earth. Verse 17, God says, And behold, I, even I, do bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh, wherein is the breath of life from under heaven, and everything that is in the earth shall die. But with thee, Noah, will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons, and thy wife, and thy sons' wives with thee. Now stop right there. With whom did God establish the covenant? It was with Noah. Do you see that? He did not establish a covenant with Noah's wives, Noah's wife, or his sons, or his sons' wives. You see this? He established a covenant with Noah. Now look in Genesis chapter 9. The flood is over, and in verse 18 it says, And the sons of Noah that went forth of the ark were Shem, and Ham, and Japheth, and Ham is the father of Canaan. These are the three sons of Noah. And of them was the whole earth overspread. And Noah began to be a husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. And he drank of the wine, and was drunken, and he was uncovered within his tent. And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father, and their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done to unto him. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall, be, shall he be unto his brethren. Now, Scripture doesn't clearly state that Ham did anything other than the fact that Noah knew what his son had done unto him. See that? Now, I'm not a, an expert in the Hebrew language, but I've done research on this, and apparently, the way this is written in the Hebrew, the implication is, Ham did something immoral with his father. Now, that's gross, and that's disgusting. But now, let's think about this. This is a type and shadow of what's happening now in the body of Christ. And I'll explain. You see, Ham was on the ark. Now, from the time that God said, build it, to the time the flood started, was right about 100 years. And Noah was a preacher of righteousness. Now that means Ham heard everything Daddy said. That means Ham heard evil, wickedness, We've got to build this ark. And the people that came by and laughed, ah, ha, ha, Noah, you fool. And Noah, no, you need to understand the, the word of God is thus and thus and such and such. And you're going to die if you don't repent and so forth. And on and on it went. Ham heard all this. He heard it all. And Ham was on the ark and he saw the destruction of humanity. He was a witness of it. In other words, Ham saw the prophecy come to pass right before his very eyes. He saw the magnitude. He saw the result of the entire face of the planet altered by the power of this flood. He saw it. And then the waters recede. They come out of the ark and it says that Noah became a husbandman. Now, if you do any research about how long it takes to grow grapes and make wine, okay, you can't just do that in a couple of months. It takes, nowadays, it can take a few years before the vines produce quality grapes to make wine. Well, there's a lot of time that's passed in this. And Noah ends up with being drunk, <laughs> passes out in his tent, and then Ham comes in and does whatever it is that Ham did. Now, apparently, Ham heard enough of his daddy's preaching that he agreed with it to the point that he got on the ark. So it looked like everything was okay. It looked like everything was fine. They get off the ark. Everything seems okay with Ham. 
Why, in fact, he even starts having kids like the other boys. And then all of a sudden we realize Ham wasn't as saved as we thought. Do you follow this? In other words, he was delivered from the destruction. He was saved from death. He was on the ark with his dad, mom, and the others. And when he got off the ark, and now listen, was no longer, no longer felt like he was in danger. Whatever it was he carried with him, whatever it was that he did not purge from him, you say, well now, he wasn't even born again. No, neither were the rest of them. But yet, I don't see that the rest of them got all messed up and, and did stuff. And yet Ham did this. Once the flood was over, he yielded to that part. He, he yielded to that which was a part of why the flood happened in the first place. Now look over in Second uh, Peter chapter 2. Second Peter chapter 2. Just take a look here at one verse. Well, actually two. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who shall privily or privately or in a sneaky way bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them and bring upon themselves swift destruction and many, shall follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. Now, look at this. He says that these, these false teachers are going to bring in damnable heresies, denying the Lord that bought them. Ham denied the ark that saved him. And Christians today are denying the ark of Jesus Christ who saved them. And it says here that many are going to follow their pernicious ways by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. This whole denying of Jesus, this isn't a matter of, no, Jesus is not the Messiah. They're false teachers. What they're saying is, no, the standards of Christ for holiness aren't really what we have to live by. You can yield to the flesh and do these things, and it's not just sexual stuff. We read a whole list of things. You can do this, it's going to be okay. And they begin delivering this message to the body of Christ, and then Christians hear this, and because their senses aren't strengthened by the Word and praying in the Spirit, they hear these things, they buy into it, and they begin to walk down that path away from God for all eternity. Hopefully, not all of them will reach the end of that path. And I do believe that there are going to be some, you know, they're going to shake the dust off their eyes, and they're going to return. I believe that. I truly believe that. But you've got too many. He tells you right here that there are going to be some who are going to follow those damnable heresies straight to hell. And this is exactly what Ham did. Because remember, when Noah found out what Ham did, he said, cursed be Canaan. In other words, the implication of that is Ham had preached a damnable heresy to Canaan who bought into it. There's a lot that's been left, a lot of detail that isn't recorded there in Genesis. But if you meditate in it, you begin to see, okay, yeah, we've got a family line here. This is a branch that needs to be cut off. And what's interesting is that there are passages in Scripture about the branch that produces corrupt fruit being cut off and cast into the fire. See, what I'm sharing with you tonight, it is so critical that we dress and keep the garden of our spirit to be ready for revival and final judgment. It is so absolutely critical. And there are a lot of things that Christians, some Christians, have become numb to when it comes to, you really shouldn't be doing that, and yet they're doing it. They need to wake up. See, I can't tell you well, how many times can I do such and such before that's it? I don't know. <laughs> Why would you ask? How about, yeah, if, you, if you're asking that question, you know, you're probably already there. 
You're just looking for a way to keep doing it. What, 35 times? Ooh, I've only been 10 times. I got 25 more times. No. If God says don't, don't. Don't. And yet you've got Christians today, symbolically now, they are endorsing the party of Ham. And they think nothing of it. They think everything's okay. God is calling us to accountability. We need to purge ourselves and be purged by His power, by His life in us, by the Word. We need to to get to this place of examining our lives with God. God, open my eyes. Let me see. What do you see in me? What needs to be changed? What needs to be ended? What needs to be done for? What? And then get rid of it. It's not always going to be easy. At least for some people it may not be. But guys, the end will justify the means. Praise God. 